Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Gee, I wonder if we have anything to talk about on today's show. Holy smokes, 15 games on Monday night. Nothing tonight, so at least we get a little bit of a breather after getting through this podcast. Still, I have all sorts of stuff I want to do on social media today. I don't know if I'm going to be screaming into the void over there or what, but uh, hopefully someone will be around to talk basketball with me. These are the days, actually, where I find myself uh, having the most fun, which is weird to think because for so long, all we wanted was for games to happen. And then you get this big day, and then you're just kind of exhausted. But this is a great day. The day with no games or even a light card where you can assess your team. You can take the time to really dig in because you're not forced to focus on the nightly decisions, the sit-start stuff, the the waiver wire. Like, there's no immediate action that needs to happen. So this is a great day to set up an Excel spreadsheet if you want to, to see how your team is performing so far. It's a great day to look at some of the other teams in your league and see what they might be successful at it's a great day to come up with buy lows and sell highs because there isn't that game or you know slate of eight to 12 games breathing down your neck where you have to be keyed in on those we can focus on the other stuff but that is what we do after the podcast that's what we do over on social media that's what we do in our home leagues that's what we do in our listener leagues and our pro leagues whatever you're in first we got to get through what happened in a wild and woolly 30-team everybody's-got-to-do-it Monday night that largely had, like, fairly competitive basketball games by all accounts. I mean, there were a handful of blowouts in there, but in a 15-game card, you kind of expect it. In any event, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Thank you once again to everybody that has continued to drop those five-star reviews on the pod. I was sort of half-joking the first time I said, please help me push the three-star review down the board a little bit, but then you guys were like, yeah, why the hell not? Will it help? Um, so now I'm just going to make it a thing. Please do continue to help me push those three-star reviews down the board. If you have a moment, I would appreciate it deeply, deeply from the bottom of my heart. It's what helps us move up the charts on iTunes. Subscribers is one. New subscribers, I I believe a big one, or at least it used to be, and then reviews. Because when someone looks at a pod, they want it to look good. People are going to click in and listen to the one that has a good review, that has a lot of good reviews. So thank you to everybody that's done it. If you haven't done it yet, please do so. If you've already done it and you have a, a spouse or a sibling or a child or something where there's a phone lying around the apartment or house, just pick it up and do it on that one, and I will, you know, heart emoji you all forever we're gonna go through this thing chronologically because the game started every 15 minutes so we might as well do it the same way washington at charlotte to open up the crazy monday and there were actually a couple of interesting things in this ball game i i don't want to go through every player and every box score it's just too much in a 30 team night but the big things and there were there was almost something in every single ball game Jordan Goodwin is a story right now. He once again put up a really good fantasy line, but he also shot, pitched himself a perfecto. Seven for seven from the field, two for two at the foul line. 
obviously not a sustainable number there. Still, he had to like the four boards, five assists, and two blocks. He's in Bradley Beal fill-in mode, but he might be earning himself minutes anyway, as the Wizards got a much-needed win over a dinged-up Charlotte team that's, you know, starting to inch their way closer to being healthy, but very much not there yet. Uh, the Hornets are now 3-8, and eight, and this was, of course, the big fear. They opened 3-3, three and three, and they've just sort of run out of gas here without LaMelo Ball and without Gordon Hayward, and then for Rozier for a little bit. I'm not adding Goodwin in a Roto Games Cap format. I would consider it in head-to-head, because if he puts up a dud, it doesn't really hurt you all that much. It just, you know, costs you a weekly move, where with Roto, you're like, crap, that was, you know, one of my 820 games I had to use, and it was a waste. Those tend to sting a little bit more. Otherwise, no news is good news kind of thing. Um, I, I, I Listen, I'm going to be very honest as I go through this card. I had some hits. I had some misses. But one of the ones that's a very clear hit right now is that Monte Morris is still Monte Morris. We had some guests on this show that were pro-Monte, and I was very much not. I didn't offer a ton of pushback, because I didn't think that's what that my place was during that run-up to the season. But you guys heard me talk about it. There was just, like, the usage for him was never going to change all that much. I thought it would be near 100. He's at 150 right now, so it's actually gone worse than expected. And we're, we're landing in kind of a rough spot with the Wizards, although at least they're playing a tiny bit quicker this year. On the Charlotte side, Jalen McDaniels continues to fill in well. He didn't start this one, uh, but with Gordon Hayward out, he's a perfectly reasonable stream. I do think that when that Charlotte team is fully healthy, he's a guy who disappears. I also think that's the case for Dennis Smith Jr., but this is why you kind of wanted to wait and see what was going on with this one. He was still the starting point guard, and he still played the second most minutes on the team at 34 was terrible from the field, shot 1 of 11, but 5 boards, 10 assists, 3 blocked shots. He's shown himself to be a, a pretty amazing defensive whiz kid this season. So uh, keep streaming him is the story. Uh, he's at number 70. He's going to taper off a little bit because with Rozier back, a lot of shots get chewed up. He took 23 of them in yesterday's ballgame. But as long as DSJ is the starting point guard, meaning basically until LaMelo's back, which might be by the end of the week. What we can tell, they're saying he's getting a, a little bit closer. You can keep super streaming DSJ. So let's try to milk this thing a little bit longer, and that to me is the big story over there. Uh, Nick Richards having a better ball game is sort of a subplot to this one. I'm not going to read too much into that. That was you know, a hot hand kind of thing. Typically, it's Mason Plumley, and then neither one of those guys ends up being fantasy useful. Houston, they got to get fat against a very, very, very bad Orlando Magic defense. Whoa, do they give up points. Rockets got their second win of the year, and everybody got plump doing it. Jalen Green, 34 points. Boy, did he need a ball game like that one. Maybe it wakes him up going forward. He's still number 161, and it's not going to be that bad all year. Either the field goal or the free throw percent is going to trend up. But I still think that he's, his ceiling is like 70 range, as long as all this other stuff is going on. Eric Gordon was pretty good again. Um, I think we know enough about Eric Gordon not to buy into this nonsense, but in case you needed to hear me say it, don't buy into this nonsense. Alperin Shengun, he's coming around. That's nice to see. After a very slow start, he's right in the 50s, pretty much where he was drafted, so that's pretty good. The two... Like, did the needle move kind of players in this game 
KJ Martin, who had another fantastic ball game, and he's shown himself to be a really useful piece for that team, has been wildly inconsistent. And that, of course, is the rub with KJ, is as long as he's not starting, which he is not starting until Jabari Smith Jr. either gets hurt or has to miss time for another illness, then uh, KJ's just not going to be able to put up consistent lines. You know, he gets... Every once in a while, he gets that 30-minute ball game, and everything looks great, but then, you know, they're lost to the Clippers. He had two points and three boards. Sandwiched by 23 points, five cash counters, three defensive stats, a couple of three balls, 17 points, a steal, and three three-pointers, and then last night, 21 points, two blocks, four three-pointers. Like, we can see it's not even the outline of a really good fantasy stat set. He has a good fantasy game. Field goal percent tends to be, like, kind of decent because he does a lot of his damage by cuts. So it's dunks and threes for KJ. That's why even though he's taking more three-pointers this year, the field goal percent isn't bad. He's still at 49%. He's having his best season as a pro. He's playing his most minutes as a pro, but he's not a good foul shooter. So that's going to be a problem, meaning he's got to be out there long enough to counterweight that with other stuff. One thing I will point out on Martin is that, you know, in his career, he's at half a steal and half a block in about 22 minutes per ballgame. So that's not a number that's been colossal. But in his rookie season, he was about 0.7 steals and about a block in 24 minutes per ballgame. If he trends back towards that number and if he continues to get 25 to 31 minutes per ballgame, he's got a shot to move into fantasy usefulness territory. I don't think you need to act on it right now. He's going to get added in a bunch of st- pl- spots and then probably dropped again when he has that next clunker, which will come. And part of that's going to be if Jabari Smith Jr. can get any confidence at all. He doesn't, right now, he doesn't believe he belongs. And they'll just keep playing through it because, you know, he's their number two pick and number three pick, rather. And. Like, that's what you do with a high-ceiling, early lotto pick. But right now, he doesn't believe that he can hang. He's making mistakes. Balls are just going through his fingers. He just looks lost. And at some point, he's just going to snap out of it. He's either going to talk to a sports psychologist, or he's just going to keep shooting and keep playing until the game slows down a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get dropped in a lot of spots. Um, His roster ship is down... It's at 77%, which is still way down from where the season started in the mid-80s. It hasn't, like, fully locked in yet because he had a couple good ball games right at the start of the year. But right now, he is in an unbelievable, deep, dark slump. And if he gets dropped, you go get him. If he doesn't get dropped, you go try to get him. Because he's been so terrible to this point that anybody that drafted him is going to be thinking about what they can do. He's outside the top 200. And, like, it isn't, it hasn't really been close for a little bit. He's shooting 30% from the field. Yikes. But he's averaging a block, almost six rebounds, almost two three-pointers, while basically making nothing. You can see what happens if it comes together. What I don't know is exactly what it would take to get him. That's always kind of a hard thing to figure out while rambling live on a podcast. But I've got to think that if you've got someone with little name buzz that's like hanging around 100 that 
like maybe you think is going to fall back, but people like the power in their name. I don't know. Kevin Porter, his teammate, would be an interesting name to throw out there. He's at 111 because he's scoring, rebounding, passing, and getting steals, but he's just atrocious in field goal percentage and turnovers. So, like, that's a thing that's sagging you down. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie at 114. Those guys have some name power. Draymond, I really, like, again, I think he's going to have a very bad season this year. I don't think he's going up from here. I don't know how many other... Malcolm Brogdon at 126. He's scoring a little bit, so maybe that gets it done. I doubt it. Kuzma at 130. That would be one that has some name power. If you can go give up somebody with a little name power and some points under their belt, you might be able to get this thing done. No real news on the Orlando side. Jalen Suggs showing himself to, as we kind of expected, not really have a nine-cat fantasy game. He'll score a little, he'll get you some assists, he'll get you some steals, but his free throw percent is terrible. Oh, so terrible. He's going to turn it over a bunch. He doesn't shoot three-pointers. I don't think he needs to be started. I know that there's a lot of Suggs hype going on right now, and that's okay because he actually looks pretty freaking good when he's out there. Like, he looks the part. But fantasy-wise, the the holes, I think, are too tough to overcome. I think both percentages are going to be rough. Turnovers are going to be high. No three-pointers. You can't be a negative in four categories unless you're an absolute behemoth in the other ones. And he's not. He's not. He's merely okay in the other ones. So if you're squatting on Suggs, uh, I don't I don't think that there's a huge reason to do so. He's number 219 in 29 minutes per ball game. I just don't think it's there. Like, you could look at it and say, yeah, his free throw percent probably comes up from 57 to, like, mid-70s, but that only gets him from top 200 to, like, top 150, top 120. His steals are super high right now, and the other stuff is probably going to stick. I'd rather wait and take a shot on Markel Fultz when he comes back, and the more I watch that situation, the more I think he's probably the better fit anyway. But we'll see. Uh, the Boyan Bogdanovich slowdown has come. We always kind of knew it would. He's down to number 75 after sitting inside the top 20 for the first two weeks of the year. And look, like this is expected. And a couple of really bad shooting games has brought him down more to kind of where I think folks expected him to be. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is where he leveled off. A couple more slow games, a couple big games. It'll bounce back and forth. He's probably going to be in the 75 to 80 range when the season comes to a close. Jaden Ivey looked really good. You want to talk about a rookie that actually has settled in a little bit better. Ivey's that guy. He's number 120 right now, uh, and that to me is without anything clicking. He might end up being the most interesting rookie. I know Paolo Boncaro had a really big ball game, so perhaps I'm overextending myself a tad, but uh, Ivey might be the sneaky, like if you're looking at nine cat rankings at the end of the year, He's going to be among the top rookies, I think. I think Keegan probably is in there as well, but he's been struggling too. The Oklahoma City roulette wheel stopped on nobody. Shea had a big ball game. Everybody else stunk for the most part. Uh, Darius Baisley had some defensive stats, so that covered up a little bit. I think the only story with the Thunder is that Jalen Williams started and played 31 minutes, but he did literally nothing with them. It's enough for me to put him on a watch list, and that's it. And everybody's like, should I panic on Josh Giddy?" I'm like, well, how did you end up with Josh Giddy? How did you listen to this podcast the whole offseason and end up with Josh Giddy? Dude was getting drafted in the 60 range, 
And I kept telling you, he should go near 100. I don't have advice for you because I don't think you should have had him to begin with. I mean, if you can move him for someone inside the top 100, you do it. Whatever, let's keep going. Indiana, monster offensive game, mostly Miles Turner. 37 and 12. Whoa. Somebody's trying to get himself traded to L.A. Buddy Heald, big ball game. Halliburton, big ball game. Jalen Smith, big ball game. Good to have him back in the mix. Andrew Nemhart had a nice ball game, but I think some of that, at least some of that, had to do with uh, Neesmith being out. And then Benedict Matherin played 30 minutes, had a tougher shooting game. He's another guy that I think you could get more for in a trade than he's actually worth. Matherin ranked 142 in 9-cat because he doesn't do anything besides score. His free throws are a positive, but he's probably not going to take six of those every ball game. So even that is likely to taper off. You saw a little bit of it there yesterday. Great foul shooter, excellent scorer, and he had five assists in that ball game. But that, I mean, that's been a bit of an outlier. But doesn't rebound, doesn't pass, doesn't steal, doesn't block, doesn't have a good field goal percent. Uh, turnovers are going to be a little bit high because he's a rookie. Uh, yeah, there's there's way more buzz than there is there's more bark than there is bite there from a fantasy standpoint i like him as a player don't get me wrong but fantasy wise no and then with isaiah jackson this again you're still this is luxury stash situation like you can't be starting him in any format right now you're you're we're exclusively if you're holding him you're waiting on miles turner i think you should because he's a top 50 player if miles gets traded uh but he's unusable while miles is still around on the new orleans side larry nance jr hyperextended a knee He's listed as probable, which surprises the hell out of me because it looked like he got pretty well dinged up in that one. I would expect him to miss a little bit of time, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's a big help for Jonas Valanciunas. It's also a big help for Trey Murphy. Pelicans went a little bit small for stretches. Let's wait and see on Nance. I think if Nance is good to go, and like if he is good to go, he's not going to play 14 minutes. He'll play more like you know 22 to 25 then that continues to sting JV. It'll continue to sting Trey Murphy. And you kind of move from there. And in terms of like, if you have Trey Murphy on your team right now, you might as well just kind of wait and see how the Nance situation shakes out. If you have Nance, you can probably move on, assuming we get the news that I think we're going to get, which is that he's going to miss a little bit of time. I don't think he's, as much as I love Larry Nance, I don't think that he's going to be consistent enough this year to squat on him through an injury. But right at this moment, we don't know. So it's a really hard team to break down on the podcast because we just need more information. I did like how many points were scored in this game. That was fun. Uh, that was the first four games. Let's do one more, and then I'm going to tell you guys about Manscaped.com because they sent me more boxer briefs. <laughs> uh, Philly beat Phoenix 188. Chris Paul left early with heel soreness, which, I mean, I hope that that's all it turns out to be. He's been sort of weirdly disengaged, and this game is obviously going to put a dent into what was... He was sitting right around number 40, which, huge disappointment, but basically right where he was getting drafted. Um, in the meantime, you're obviously adding campaign. He's going to start at point guard, and he's going to play a ton of minutes, and his fantasy game is not fantastic, but a starting point guard on the Suns deserves to be on a roster. I took a flyer. I didn't start him. A speculative add on Torrey Craig. I think you can move on from that. He is not at all, as we figured, guaranteed those power forward minutes. They'll go small. They'll play bridges at the power forward spot. They'll bring in Damian Lee. They've got other options there. So move on from Torrey Craig, if you even considered it, and pick up Cam Payne. That's one of the big pieces of news from that gigantic Monday. 
Joel Embiid came back, looked good, didn't make a ton of his shots, but made all 16 of his free throws, so that's a good sign. George Niang had a big game. You're ignoring that. Uh, Tobias Harris had another good ball game, somehow. And then our guy DeAnthony Melton has been a little unsure of himself sliding in here to the starting lineup. The shooting hasn't been great, uh, but you do love the other. He just does everything. Someone pushed back on Twitter about DeAnthony Melton, which I, it's just like, stop. Like, have you seen what, he, what he's been doing? I know that the shooting wasn't good, but he does everything. When he's a starter out there, he does everything. He's like, okay, fine. Like, if you're punting turnovers, he loses a little bit of value. But he's he's a terrific, terrific fantasy play. And, you know, in a lot of ball games, he's going to get more than seven shots, especially here while Harden's out. Yes, DeAnthony Melton is a start. Tyrese Maxey had a very rough shooting game. Um, overall, he's still been fine on the year. He's number 81. I thought he was getting overdrafted a little bit. Um, but I figure he'll be relatively safe as far as this season goes. And that brings us to our Manscaped visit, because those guys had the kindness to send me another pair of uh, Manscaped boxer briefs, and they're sweet-looking, man. You guys got to check out the clothing that they offer. It's under the Lifestyle tab over at Manscaped.com. They've got the uh, Boxers 2.0. That's the upgraded version. They are extremely comfortable. I finally had an opportunity to try them on. They have the old-fashioned boxers, the 2.0, and then they've got the original, the, the not called the 1.0, but that's the, the first one. Uh, they're really um, quite fancy. Like, they're, it's fancy underpants. I don't know if you've had fancy underpants before. I never have. <laughs> I've never had fancy underpants before. Um, the 2.0 is on sale now as well, if you're thinking about it. It's got a little new tab. It's got like a gold band at the top. It's only 26 bucks right now for a three-pack of premium ultra-soft boxer briefs. And if you use our coupon, Ethos20, you can take another 20% off of that bad boy. You guys can do the math. 20% of 26 bucks, that's 520. So that gets you down to about 20 bucks, a little over 20 bucks, plus free shipping with our coupon. It's tagless, which that's nice. And it's got a cooling, moisture-wicking fabric. Which, I don't know that you need it as we go into wintertime, but come on, I think we all need it a little bit. So they got cool stuff all across the board at Manscaped.com. Also in lifestyle, they've got two different kinds of colognes. I don't wear scents, but perhaps you do. T-shirts, they've sent us a bunch of those. They're wonderful. My wife wears them as nightshirts. I wear them when I'm milling around the apartment. They've got a travel bag. Lip balm. They've sent us those. I used Manscaped lip, lip balm on my five-year-old because it got cold out and he was getting chapped. They're really, it's a wonderful partner to have. You're going to love what they've got over there. Uh, the lip balm is great too. And then, look, I, I can't do a read for Manscaped without reminding you that my wife's like, you got to tell them about the nail clippers. The shears. The shears. I forget exactly where I figured out where those were. Was that under tools? Yeah. The Shears 2.0 is under tools. That's 20 bucks. And then use the coupon. You can get it down to 16 with free shipping. It's worth it. You will not ever need another nail kit as long as you live. Don't pick your nails. Use Manscaped stuff. Ethos 20, 20% off free shipping. Let's go to the next ballgame from Monday. This is going to be a long podcast, guys. Buckle up. Atlanta blew out Milwaukee. That's a weird one. Like, the Bucks just weren't, they weren't, they didn't have it. Giannis wasn't good. Drew Holiday was actually kind of okay, but had eight turnovers. 
Brooke Lopez still was fine. 11 points, couple of blocks, three three-pointers. That's a good way to salvage a game when your team is getting blindsided. Brooke is still number 20, by the way. We're 10 games into the season. We're about 12% in, and uh, it's still a second-rounder. I know it ain't going to stay all season long, but every time I look up, it's like, oh, Brooke had another good ball game. Not a huge one here, but like if you can be okay in a game where your team's getting blown out, then call it a win. Meanwhile, on the other side, you know, minutes were... Uh, distributed strangely. This is a game without Trey Young. Of course, it's going to start everybody talking. Are the Hawks better without Trey Young? The answer is no, obviously. But DeJounte Murray is amazing. And DeJounte Murray's probably a better basketball player than Trey Young. Better offensively? No. Better overall? Yes. No adjustments of any kind in this ballgame. It's a blowout, so just sort of throw it out. The one thing I would continue to note on the Hawks is that Clint Capella's not going anywhere. He's number 56 in 9-cat after that one Gigantor game. He's pretty much where you would want him to be if you drafted him in the 80 range. And they are better when he's protecting the rim. It's as simple as that right now. Portland went on a crazy run at the end of their game in Miami to get the win. You heard that before? Yeah, Damian Lillard-led teams tend to play extremely well down the stretch, although it wasn't really Dame that did all of it. He was fine. Seemed a little rusty coming back from his calf injury. He'll be fine. Josh Hart, good to see him looking good again. Uh, Nurk couldn't shoot, but, you know, made himself useful in other ways. Although they were actually quite bad when Nurk was on the floor. Blazers did their damage when he wasn't in there. Jeremy Grant had his sort of big pop-off game despite Lillard being back, and that got him all the way up to number 136. It's just not going to be an easy year for Jeremy this season. His field goal percent is fine. His free throw percent is low. Those things probably, one goes down, the other goes up. They're just like, if he's not maximum usage Jeremy Grant, he's not going to be as great. Anthony Simons, similar story. He took 20 shots, so that's good for him, but he needs maximum usage. He's taken 18 shots a game. A bunch of those came with Dame out. Simons is a sell high. I feel pretty confident in that one. And then everybody else, you can just look the other way. Jimmy Butler, six steals in this ballgame. Who doesn't love a good Jimmy Butler mega steals game? He pushed himself up to number 15 on a per-game basis. Yeah, he missed his couple of games with a hip thing. And three weeks from now, he's going to miss two more games with a hip thing. And that's the way it's going to be with Butler. But you knew what you were getting into. He was getting drafted in the middle of the third round, which is just absurd given his per-game upside. He could even be better if his field goal percent trends up towards 48 instead of 46. If he stays remotely healthy, he ends up as a fantastic fantasy grab this year. Meanwhile, his buddy Kyle Lowry had another great ball game. He's number 53 on the season and still shooting under 40%. Lowry looked great. It helps a little bit that Butler missed two and now Heroes missed one. So Lowry's had a couple games here where he's been able to do a little bit more. But overall, he's just been good. These guys, they get drafted so freaking late. Gabe Vincent played pretty well again. He's a better reality player than he is in fantasy because oftentimes, like he got 35 minutes here and some of that was the Tyler Hero situation. He's just not going to get 35 minutes every night. Uh... Conversely, some of that was also due to Max Struess being in foul trouble, but he still got his four three-pointers. Uh, you know, Brew has been talking about how good Struess is for about two years now, and folks are getting to see it. He unfortunately doesn't do much besides hit three-pointers, but I think 
you can probably file him into that bucket of when the Heat are healthy, Struess is fine. He's sort of head-to-head streamer-level guy, you know, 120 range kind of thing. But when one player is out, he moves up towards 80 to 90, and that's when you could potentially deploy him in Roto as well. Chicago, sweet revenge over the Toronto Raptors, and they did it with defense. Toronto uh, got great games out of Freddie Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., and everybody else was total dog do. Scotty Barnes, bad. OG Ananobi, eh, I mean, like, salvaged with three steals, but pretty bad. Chris Boucher, horrendous, awful call. Sorry, guys. He's almost always good when a starter is out for Toronto, but they were mixing and matching, and just nobody had it. So Nick Nurse was like, Boucher, no. You got it? Coloco, no, you don't have it. Thad Young, no, you don't have it. Juancho Hernan Gomez, no. Precious Achua, meh. Nothing worked. Give Chicago credit. They played good D. Alex Caruso, good game despite the Bulls having all of their pieces in line for this one. Now, some of that, I think you see this stuff when other guys struggle a little bit. Io has been a little quieter. DeRozan has been a little quieter lately. I'm still not using Caruso when that team is fully healthy, but I feel much better about using Caruso anytime Levine is set to take a day off. And what you can do now and, like, this is a great day for it because we don't have to make those split-second decisions. We can just look ahead a little. The Bulls don't have another back-to-back for a little while. In fact, their their schedule is quite bad. They play tomorrow, and then they're off until Sunday. It's part of that three-game week thing. Um, so this is a really rough week for them. But, if you like, if you want to dig a little bit deeper, you can go into it and you can say, okay, let's let's figure out what the Bulls' schedule is. Let's do it together here live on air. Why the hell not? Uh, they go Sunday. Next week, they go Wednesday, Friday. That's it. They got a two-gamer. Woof. Bull schedule is atrocious. Their next back-to-back isn't until December 10th and 11th. So if you're looking for when Zach Levine's going to get a day off, that would be it. And that's a month from now, if you're thinking about Alex Caruso. Now, if someone gets hurt, that's a different equation. But this is how you have to kind of plan ahead a little bit. When the Bulls are fully healthy, I don't know if Patrick Williams is inside the top 100. I'm shaded towards no. So again, he's another guy where, like Caruso, he's just outside the Roto Games Cap zone when the Bulls are fully healthy, and when there's one guy missing, that's all it takes, one higher usage guy off the board. Levine would be the most obvious choice, but I think it would probably work if Io was out, and obviously if DeRozan was out. Then those two guys both slide above the cut line. Interesting dynamic. You're seeing that with a lot of teams this year, actually. Hey, look at Big Al. 15-6, and six, two assists, a steal, two blocks, three three-pointers on six out of seven shooting. Oh, a deep sigh of relief. We can all deep sigh as Big Al starts to trend towards the right part of the board. His field goal percent's at 50. Free throw percent doesn't matter because he doesn't take any. But he's up to 10 points, two threes, six boards, one block per game, and two assists. And if he just keeps quietly being a little bit better, we're going to suddenly forget how unbelievably silent he was to start the year. Over the last seven days, Big Al is number 27. You probably didn't notice because he, again, has done it very quietly and with a day off in there. But over the last seven days, Big Al 
is number 27. He had a 12-point game, 11-point game, 15. He has 23 rebounds over that stretch, was averaging 7.7 of those. Almost three assists, 1.3 blocks, 1.73 pointers. He's looking like himself, and I don't know if anybody's even noticed yet. You may have lost your opportunity to buy low on him. We knew he was going to come around. He's a starting freaking center on a good NBA team, and he was top 40 last year for his whole stretch of centered play, and he doesn't need high usage to do it. So it wasn't ever like, oh, he needs to get a bunch more shots. He just needed to be a little bit more engaged, and he was. Also in the good news department, Marcus Smart has now had a couple of good ball games in a row. He's pushed up to number 122, uh, and I would hope that his steals move up from 0.9 to more like 1.3, 1.4, and if and when they do, he should slide back into that 90 range where he belongs. Phew! Boston. That's a load off. Jason Tatum, another monster game, though, for Tatum. He's been, uh, he's been crazy so far this year. Unbelievably, he actually moved down the board a little bit in this one uh, because he went 12 for 16 at the free throw line and didn't get a bunch of rebounds or assists. And his free throw percentage now is under 90. It's down to 88, which probably still comes down a little bit further. And this is the thing. Like, we always knew Tatum wasn't going to stay in a top three valuation. His field goal percent wasn't going to stay at 50. His free throw wasn't going to stay in the mid-90s. The blocks were probably going to taper off a little bit. The other stuff might stick. But then as everything settles down, he probably moves back more towards that like 8 to 13 range. And that's why he was a very safe, friendly, durable first round pick. Um, but when he was, you know, number two or number three or whatever it was, that's when you should have been looking at, hey, I wonder if I could like go pair him up with a fourth rounder and get Nikola Jokic, something like that. Who was a little better last night. Just saying, we'll get there. Uh, John Morant bats back with a really big ball game in across-the-board stuff, but his free throw percent hurt. And so, I mean, again, the John Morant conundrum, player who is so much better in real life than in fantasy, 29 points, 5.5 boards, 7 assists, 2 threes, ranked 45th because he's over 4 turnovers a game. His field goal percent has now come down to where it's a small negative, and it's going to probably keep going that way if he keeps taking three-pointers. The block's not really there. I mean, he's a super exciting player, don't get me wrong, but fantasy-wise, again, a little more bark than bite, just because there are things that hold him back. It's weird the way the valuation goes. Now, uh, you know, if you're in head-to-head and turnovers are sort of like a coin flip for you, then obviously he is, his value goes way up. Because turnovers, I think he's, he might be tops in the league at over four per ball game. Probably. But, you know, maybe you just pair him up with someone who doesn't turn it over and bada boom. Um, I think we probably can move on from Santi Aldama. He's down to 125. Uh, the league has kind of figured him out a little bit. And... I don't think we should be surprised. I mean, this happens with young guys. Steven Adams was out. Brandon Clark is a start anytime that happens. He played 31 minutes. He didn't do as much with them as I thought he might. Uh, but you give Brandon Clark 31 minutes every single game, and he's going to blow you away with the numbers. So, uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like Steven Adams is going to miss a whole bunch of time, which makes me a bit reticent to go pick up Clark when I know it's going to be particularly short-lived. But I guess you never know. Um, 
And Clark is good enough in a 30-some-odd-minute stream to where he could jump over some of your starters on another big day like tomorrow. Otherwise here, you know, decent game for uh, John Conchar, a Mike Pasador favorite, uh, but, you know, not consistent enough to make the ad there. Malcolm Brogdon had 8-10, and 10, but he only played 20 minutes. Eh, whatever, like, uh, move on. We talked about the important stuff. How many games are we at right now? One more, and then I got to tell you about uh, another of our partners here on the show. The Knicks got cute here and then just kind of opened it up, and I don't even really know how exactly they were able to conquer Minnesota so easily. They just made a ton of threes. Julius Randle hit eight three-pointers. Good luck replicating that. Barrett three, Toppin three, Brunson two. They hit 19 as a team, and when a team hits 19 three-pointers, they're probably going to beat you. Now, the Knicks overall didn't shoot all that well, but the long ones were dropping. And because of that, Toppin got extra minutes. Isaiah Hartenstein, they decided to bring off the bench behind Jericho Sims for I don't know what reason. And then for Hartenstein, uh, this game just sort of didn't lend itself to his success rate. But he's obviously a hold. He's been fantastic. He was in the 50s prior to this ball game, fell to 62. So... Like, who cares? You can't get caught up in the in the moment-to-moment. Moment. The only reason to look at it is to say, hey, is anything trending in either direction? And the answer is no. I just had a quieter ball game. Long rebounds, not great for the big guy. Like, whatever. Minnesota side. Uh, Slow-mo, nine points, two boards, two assists, two steals, one block, four of six shooting. His fill-in here was less exciting than the previous ball game. And I didn't like the fact that his minutes weren't as high. And it's not even all that clear where they went. It just seemed like maybe Minnesota was kind of trying stuff to see what might fit. Slow-mo didn't have a particularly good ball game. Uh, but 25 minutes, as long as Rudy Gobert is out, I'm streaming Kyle because he's going to get you steals. He's going to get you blocks. He's going to typically get you assists. He didn't in this ball game. He'll get you some rebounds. And, you know, who cares about scoring? Four of six shooting. He'll get you field goal percent. This is quietly actually a pretty good game compared to a lot of the damage that people are doing. There was someone that reached out on Twitter, and I felt like I need to almost like address it directly on the podcast because it was talking about like, like what you need from each position. 15, 16 points, something like that. Yeah, Anderson didn't get you to that, but you can't look at it like, oh, he missed by seven. You look at it as like half percentage what did he get you percentages wise well he doubled what you typically need in steals he went over the mark in blocks by about 50 percent which is how far under he was in say assists like by about 50 percent a little less than that actually he makes up for rebounding where he was a third of what you need with field goal percent where he was far better than what you need and then zero turnovers if you look at the the Basketball Monster box score page, actually does a really great job of breaking down how a particular night of action, how to value what a player did. And like Slomo's teammate, D'Angelo Russell, 14 and 8, a steal, two blocks, four three pointers. On paper, that looks like a far superior line, but three turnovers, much worse. Two of four free throws, much worse. Four of 12 shooting, much worse. Slomo actually had the far better game. Because you, you look at all nine across the board, and that's how you have to grade somebody out. If you were looking for someone to score 16 points, that wasn't the guy you were starting anyway. 
As I hope you did what I asked you yesterday and checked out our pals at thrivefantasy.com. Remember on yesterday's show, I said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not even going to tell you about them. I'm just going to make you promise during an eight-second silence to go visit their website. Well, today, I'm going to tell you about them again. Because for a limited time, promo code ETHOS gets you a 200 up to up to $250 deposit match bonus. I think you could go in, put 50 bucks in, get the $50 deposit match, and that way you got 100 to play with. That's a pretty good, like, easy way to start. You got 50 bucks. I know you do. Drop it in there and go turn it into more. Because at Thrive Fantasy, you're just playing with prop bets. And our DFS experts here at Sports Ethos can get you started with Thrive prop bets. You just pick 10 out of a list of 20 overs or unders. And if you're good at it, you win money. But the beautiful part of the deposit match is that if you want to enter like a $20 contest or something like that, the first two and a half of those are pretty much on the house. Win any of them and you're up at that point. The rate that you have to hit, thanks to the deposit match bonus, is so low. If you put in 100 bucks and they match you with another 100 you got 200 bucks. Let's just say you're going to play in 10 $20 games from that point on. If you win five of those and basically break even, I think there's probably some VIG you lose, you stay around the $200, which is the 100 you put in and the 100 they gave you. Meaning if you go 50-50, you're up $100. To lose 100, I think you'd have to go what, like two and a half and seven and a half? Am I getting that right? 50 minus 150? Yeah, which obviously you can't do. But effectively, you have to win a quarter of your games to break even over that stretch. No, that can't be right. Is that right? (laughs) I'm trying to do this math on air and I'm totally screwing it up. Yeah, because the two and a half... Uh, you the each one is is actually worth forty. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so you only have to win a quarter of those to break even. Anything better than twenty five percent, and you're up at the end of it, which is why the deposit match is so great because they're giving you this unbelievable opportunity to go from needing to win more than fifty percent of your games to make money to just needing to win more than twenty five percent. So check out ThriveFantasy.com. Prop up today with promo code Ethos. Or click in the link. We have the link in the description of every single podcast we do here on Fantasy NBA Today. Let's dive back and get into those last five ball games. Denver beat San Antonio on the road. Uh, it never really felt like the Nuggets cared that much about this game. They knew they could just be better. And they were. Big games for Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., KCP was good again. Jamal Murray missed two free throws and had four turnovers. But overall, everything else is trending in the right direction for him. Aaron Gordon was better. He had five defensive stats, but I still don't trust him. He's the one starter there that I don't think is inside the top 100 at the end of the year. On the Spurs side, Trey Jones, big game. Keldon Johnson, big game. Jakob Pertl was better. Thank goodness that finally happened. Devin Vassell was fine. Missed a bunch of shots, but he was fine. Josh Richardson came back and hit uh, eight out of 11 shots and four for five free throws. I don't expect to see that happening every night. This is a game where the Spurs were like, look, let's just go be more competitive Is there a chance that Jay Rich maintains value when that team is healthy? Yeah, I'd still rather just wait and use him when Vassell is out. 
I don't know what Keldon Johnson's doing with these six turnovers. Keldon, you got to take it easy on those. You're averaging three turnovers a ball game, and that is artificially depressing your numbers because otherwise they've been fantastic. He's number 50 despite three turnovers a game. Oh, God, we got to finish this up before I run out of gas. Brooklyn lost in Dallas because Kevin Durant had a stretch. What is it, 62? No, not right. 60-some-odd consecutive free throws made, and he finally missed one with a chance to tie a ball game. Uh, so then they had to force miss in the whole thing. Royce O'Neal was fantastic. He played 40 minutes, sorry, 41 minutes in this ball game. That pushed him back up to number 65. I don't even know that we need to talk about him anymore. Nick Claxton had another good ball game. I'll admit, I was wrong. I thought that if you sold him when he was going full punt free throw mode and he was ranked near 100 and you could still get like a 75 range guy, I thought that was a good idea. Now it's looking like you might be able to get more than that because despite the free throws, he's actually been kind of brilliant in everything else. So I had him too low. I mean, it wouldn't have been the end of the world if you got a top 75 guy. Uh, but right now he's crushing it and the defensive stats are through the roof. Joe Harris uh, had his first decent ball game of the year, 14-5-4. I'm not going to do much with it. Same story with Cam Thomas. He's been really good filling in here for Kyrie coming off the bench and scoring, but I'm also not going to do anything with that. I mean, I, I do think Kyrie's back soon. It feels like he's trending that way. Um, and then with Cam Thomas, things are going to level off. He's, he's on like a little heater here, getting some action. He's looked good. He's played hard. Uh, but yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not taking the plunge there. Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, hurt his hip on the Dallas side. And, you know, I don't, it feels sort of mean to say that there's a little bit of good news mixed in with that. Cause you never want to see somebody get hurt, but what it does do is it likely opens up shots for some of these other wing guys that in my estimation have a better chance of getting inside the top 100. Most notably Dorian Finney-Smith who had 18 points, three boards, couple of three-pointers. Again, only nine shots. Did, however, make all six of his free throws and still isn't close. He's number 172. But he still feels like the one guy in that group that might be able to squeeze his way towards the top 100. Meanwhile, Spencer Dinwiddie had one of his bad games, and he's now fallen back outside the top 100. And the Mavs, once again, are a team with only one player inside the top 100, and it is the superhuman ability so far of Luka Doncic, who's been crazy good. He's shooting 52% still from the field. I worry, though, if he starts to get dinged up and tired, what happens to this team? Because there's just nothing behind him. Oh, well, worry about that when you get there, I guess. If you, can, if you got Luka early, I know you're not moving him, but you should. <laughs> like if you can get if you can pair Luka with a fourth or fifth rounder against Jokic you should uh, if you could go straight up for Steph you probably should speaking of Steph oh my 47 points 8 boards 8 assists 7 3 pointers Steph is now shooting 51% from, percent from the field he's passed Shea for the number one spot in fantasy and uh yeah, he's been unreal. And, like, he was always a bounce-back candidate after a poor field goal percent season last year, but I don't think any of us thought it was going to be this amazing. Holy moly. Warriors uh, kind of stole one here. Um, 
Kings should have been at the free throw line at the end of the ball game. They're getting jobbed, man. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, still a second rounder. Yet another big ball game again. I'm telling you, if you can get a top 40 guy for him, you should do it. I'll say it, and I'll scream it from the mountaintops. But uh, right now, he's sort of over his skis in defensive stats. And uh, the other stuff is actually starting to sort of move back where you'd expect it. But he's been really, really good so far this year. Clay's getting closer. Still have a little buy-low opportunity here because he still can't shoot. In any event. Uh, Kevin Herter, a little bit better. He was a hold. He had one bad ball game. Keegan Murray is another guy you should be looking at as a buy-low. I really hope that like the more that you see what we talk about on this pod, the more that you trust that I have your best interest at heart. Rookies almost always struggle at the beginning of the season. I would argue Boncaro is like maybe the one who's not. Um, he has his own stuff going on. You know, the, the low free throw percent on super high volume, the field goal percent on super high volume. But like overall, Boncaro looks like a grown man. Among the rookies, he's the one that truly looks like a grown man. The rest of these guys... They're they're figuring it out. They're getting their butts. They're getting knocked on their keisters. They're getting beat up. They're getting used to the travel, the schedule, and it takes time. But Keegan's like around a steal and a block per game, couple of three pointers. You know that field goal percent is going to tick up a little bit as he figures it out. You're going to see the rebounds tick up as he figures it out. There's a lot to like about him. He's one of my favorite rookies on the board for fantasy. But the reason I told you guys not to draft him was because it's always so bumpy early. I think it probably takes more to get Keegan than it does to get Jabari Smith Jr. right now. Um, and the problem is that whoever drafted him is probably going to be a little too attached. But like, if you have like a Josh Hart, who's a reliable 90 to 100 range guy, should throw him out there. Um, Trey Jones would be interesting, because he's probably going to be in that range. I don't know much higher I would go with some of these other names because they're maybe a little bit too powerful. Kelly Olynyk probably wouldn't get it done, but worth a try. Anthony Simons would be an interesting one to throw out there. That would almost definitely get it done. You lose that trade for the next month and a half. So if you did it, I don't want you coming back to me like, Dan, it didn't work immediately. Yeah, well, it's not going to work immediately. Let's talk about Malik Monk. He's up to 129, and he's been trending in a positive direction. My concern with him is always kind of the same one, which is, you know, what happens on the day when the shot's not falling? And we saw that earlier this year. The days when the shot isn't falling, he played 14 minutes, and his fantasy game, or the, the, the box score was a disaster. When he's warm, he's been, he's been stellar. You just you have to make sure you catch it at the right time. He's probably worth an ad, and he's probably worth using in games where you know the Kings are going to need that little offensive kick. It's hard to know when those exactly are going to be because he's done it against, like, Miami. That was a lower-scoring game. You figured the Warriors game might be a little bit more defensive-minded. He did it against Orlando, which I think we all figured would be one that would happen because, you know, they don't play any defense. And then, like, looking earlier this year, also against Golden State, he had a good game against Memphis. He had a bad one against Miami earlier. So 
It's hard to know with Malik, but when he's cooking, he's cooking. I'd be a little nervous about tomorrow, and frankly, you should have better options on your roster anyway, but like they go to L.A. to play the Lakers later this week. That might be a game against the team that kind of gave him the shot to, to earn some money, that next contract. He's probably going to go huge. Something to think about. If you had him, you can. If you don't, I, you know, I'm not like, I'm not going to tell you definitively you got to go one way or the other. Last two games, uh, Lakers, back-to-back in altitude, same deal for Utah, but uh, Jazz, man, they just don't miss. They shot 56%. It's 16 more three-pointers, and everybody was good again. I mean, what do you want me to say? Jordan Clarkson, good. Conley, great. Double-doubled. Markinen, good. Olenek, got those defensive stats. Better efficiency in this one. Sexton, 17-5-3. They just crushed it. And the Lakers were without LeBron, so you kind of knew they were cooked from the get-go. They were without Lonnie Walker. They were without Pat Beverly. Those guys got the flu that LeBron had. So Kendrick Nunn got to play some more, but... Again, tree falls in the forest kind of deal. And then Russell Westbrook was a pretty obvious stream here. He's been better coming off the bench anyway. And then with all those guys out of the mix, you knew he was going to have to do a bunch, and he did. But boy, to that team, oh my, Lakers, you got to do something. You can't, this can't go on much longer. Season's going to be over before it starts. Lakers are two and eight. They're already two and a half games out of a play-in spot. Woof. And the Clippers, big-time comeback late. That was an important one. Marcus Morris, great again. Paul George, good again. Zubats, slowed. The Zubats back and forth is a lot to take right now, but overall he's still top 45, so just sort of close your eyes and try not to worry too much about it. Terrence Mann had a good ball game. He's been a little better here lately. Uh, I'm not doing anything with it on the Roto side. The Clippers have a little stretch coming up. Uh, let's see, actually, we can, we can check this out while we're talking on the pod. I didn't want to add any more time, but, uh, they do have a good schedule coming up starting on Saturday. They go Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. So that might be an opportunity to grab him, get a few games early next week from Terrence Mann, provided Kawhi is still not playing, which I think we have to assume he won't be. Norman Powell played a little bit better. Don't care. Pass on that one. Reggie Jackson had a big ball game. John Wall sat this one out. So again, I don't care. On the Cleveland side, Kevin Love, good again. 25 minutes, stellar. He's up to number 88 now on the season in 9-cat. And frankly, until this thing stops, which it might not, he's a start. Yeah, I know. Four more three-pointers. He's averaging almost three a game. We always know he's a great foul shooter, great rebounder. And he's doing it in 21 minutes a night. Top 90. Amazing. If his minutes ever trend up towards 24 more consistently, I mean, we know what Kevin Love can do when he gets full playing time. They can't leave him out there for super long stretches because a lot of teams will just beat him up on the defensive side. Uh, but, like, they've got Jared Allen. They've got Evan Mobley. They can, they can guard a few people. And I think the other thing we learned on this Cleveland deal is that Karis LeVert is just not going to be a fantasy value if he's the third ball handler on offense so you can go ahead and move on from Levert uh before he does any more damage to your team because that's what he's been doing so far dude's shooting 36 and a half percent from the field that's not good not good at all it's very nice to see Kevin Love putting up numbers though I'll tell you put him on a team that's looking to succeed now he's just engaged again and the Cavs are freaking good I know they lost this one 
tough LA back-to-back type of deal, but they're a good ball club. I don't even really know how they lost. It looks like turnovers were the big deal. I didn't get to watch this game live, though. What's Evan Mobley ranked right now? Did he move up the board at all? Yeah, he's up to 60, so that's good. I don't know if he goes up from there. That might be where he's at. He might be a 50 to 60 range dude this year. We knew he wasn't going to be down near 80 or 90. That was, yeah, that wasn't going to stick. And that's that. Holy smokes, near hour on this one. I'm tired. But you know what? I got more to do on social media, so I expect you guys will find me over there. We are continuing to recruit here at Sports Ethos. I hope you'll bug me on that front. And I might have some prizes today, but you got to find me on social if you want those. At Dan Bespris, B-A-N-B-A-N? Get it right, you idiot. That's your own name. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Happy Election Day, everybody. Go vote. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long.